Hi, I'm Nolan Cleary, award-winning journalist and host of the hit podcast, Politics Weekly. I'm here to tell you about my new website, nolancleary.com. It's full of political analyses, a link to my podcast, and predictions for upcoming elections. If you want to know everything there is to know about upcoming elections, go to nolancleary.com right now. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. And. All right, everyone, welcome back to Politics Weekly. Uh, I'm Nolan Cleary, as always. Uh, Today, uh, we have uh, two special guests, uh, Thomas and Andrew. Uh, They're from the uh, podcast uh, This Week International. Uh, Thank you both for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your podcast uh, for people that, uh, you know, don't know about it. I'll let Andy start. Okay, so, uh, yeah, well, basically, the summer after my sophomore year of high school, I had a f- my, I have a friend who wanted to do a podcast with me about American politics. I won't drop names or the name of the podcast. Plus it got deleted. So just because I know he'll be listening to this, but we did that. We tried doing that for a little while. It turns out it was a school project for him. So that definitely, I don't want to say it put a little pressure on me, but it, it was definitely, definitely a new experience. So at least my side of story is I did that for like one or two episodes, but nothing against him. However, we did kind of have fundamentally different ideas of what this podcast that I was on would be like and so on and so forth. Like everything down to, you know, like how the descriptions of the episode work and whatnot. So this ended up not working out. And, you know, Thomas was aware of this podcast. And so uh, one day he asked me, me, hey, you know, you're not on that podcast anymore. Do you want to do another one where we talked about? uh international politics or at least this is how i remember it, you know politics going on outside of the united states so that's how this week international got started and uh i designed a logo i mean i tried to think and uh basically it's it's pretty basic logo but what i tried doing was i tried thinking of something really iconic and you know our culture that at uh you know really stitched out and so i thought of the university of michigan's football helmets so I designed our logo based off that, you know, with the yellow on blue and whatnot. And so, of course, we got on Anchor. That is our main uh, recording, or rather, <laughs> editing and publishing 
website that we use and we just meet via zoom whenever we have time in our busy schedules and uh it's really it's not really turning it's really becoming this week international is really becoming less this week international mark when we have time international but yeah. uh, <laughs> that's the story for another day you know just as we're busy thomas is fishing high school i'd be getting college it's finals week right now or almost finals week right now so mm. of course we're all really busy and uh i'll let uh if uh so james you mr clear i will let um i'll let thomas say a little bit about you know his side of things there's not much else to say uh, he basically said anything that needs to be said i think hopefully soon we sh we want to do a more of a hard reboot of it we're not going to delete anything but we want to uh, have a more weekly schedule but it's just kind of figuring out the time i think as the school year starts to close maybe so maybe sometime yeah. in spring we can restart it. I may have time to edit and then, you know, we can get our episodes up and yeah. we can have more of a consistent schedule. Cause man, there's so much going on in the news, you know? Yeah, definitely. There is a lot we can talk about. We are not short of subject matter. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, um, I know our podcast is very small, so I'll do a personal recommendation. That's one of my favorite episodes of our show. Outside of an hour about Azerbaijan, I know the title of that one doesn't sound very interesting. That's however, my favorite. Our uh, yeah, our our uh, interview with uh, Davud Salikov of um, the First Generation podcast, very good podcast. Would recommend ten out of ten. Go check it out. But um, that one's pretty good. And also episode seven. It's from like. 2020 so we talked about some things that aren't really relevant anymore like i think we talked about yacinda ardern being re-elected prime minister of new zealand and but uh yeah that's one of my personal favorites so that's uh all i gotta say about that all right um and what what would you say um i'm, I'm trying to think how i word this um uh what would you say are there any favorite moments that you have from the podcast i know you said you had favorite episodes are there any favorite moments well i like inner i liked interviewing davud that was interesting because you know he's from azerbaijan i've never met anyone from azerbaijan Same. so that was very interesting for him to talk about his experience and it was and the nagorno-karabakh war i think at that time there was a lot of i'm not gonna say bad takes but there are a lot of people who didn't really know what they were talking about when it came to that. So it was nice to have a, you know, a good voice to talk about that. And yeah. another moment that I liked was I liked the, I liked the first couple episodes where we talked about the Uyghur genocide, because I think that's something that's very important. And I think that that's always something that you need to bring up because I think now it's pretty well known, but at the time, you know, a lot of people didn't really know about it. So, yeah. For me, we kind of have a running joke about, you know, whenever we talk about the country of Turkey, it's always in a negative light. And so, it not, well, it's nothing against Turkey. It's just coincidentally that happens to be the, a running, like a, a motif in our show that we always talked about Turkey in every single episode. So I like that we have our own inside jokes. We've also made quite a joke quite a bit of jokes about libertarians before <laughs> on our show. So, I mean, yeah, like, nothing I, against I the country of Turkey, by the way, although I'm not a big fan of their government. Yeah, no, we like the Turkish people. It's just, you know, Erdogan's kind of a weirdo. 
All right, well, let's jump into the news of the week. Um, so uh, the first piece of news uh, is that the uh, Respect for Marriage uh, Act was passed through the Senate. Uh, it was officially passed. Uh, it got through the House of Representatives earlier this year, uh, but it needed to pass through the Senate. Uh, the bill needed 60 votes uh, to be passed um, due to the filibuster. Um, all 50 Democrats in the United States Senate voted for it, as did 11 Republicans. That means it got 61 uh, votes in the United States Senate, um, which means it has passed and it will go to the desk of President Joe Biden. The Respect for Marriage Act um, uh, codifies uh, same-sex marriage into federal law while also codifying interracial marriage uh, into law. Uh, this bill came over concerns that the United States Supreme Court was going to overturn Obergefell uh, or um, or Loving versus Virginia. Um, what are your thoughts on the Respect for Marriage bill being passed? Uh, I can start. So I think it's good. I think that uh, I don't know if Obergefell will be overturned. I'm honestly a little skeptical. I don't think I don't think that all six of the conservative justices would vote to overturn it, especially since Justice Gorsuch um, voted to expand protections of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to encompass gender identity. I think that was in 2020 that that happened. And that was a 6-3 decision. And even with Ginsburg gone, um, that would still be 5-4 if that was revisited. But <clears throat> I think that it's a good, uh, I think it's a good bill. I think that it balances the line really well between, you know, res um, between, well, respecting, you know, uh, gay couples and also respecting uh, religious liberty. I think that the bill, <clears throat> I think that regardless of your theological position on gay marriage, we do not live in a, we don't live in any sort of a theocracy. So I don't really see a good argument right now, um, or really at all, for why um, why the government shouldn't uh, recognize uh, same-sex marriages. I think if the bill was going to force private uh, churches and stuff to do it, okay, that's a bit of another story, but it's not. I think that's something that's very good about the bill. And I think it's a great, I think it's a great win for Biden. I think he's been under a lot of pressure recently, so this will definitely help him. But yeah, I, I, I'm supportive of it. I think this was a good bill, and I'm happy it passed. Uh, I think you can take a number of different routes with this. I mean, <clears throat> it's kind of weird how we treat, uh, you know, of course, this country has a really long, it's kind of weird how we treat stuff like this. This country has like a really long history of like racial tensions with slavery and whatnot. I mean, <clears throat> but it's kind of weird in that we treat gay marriage like it's a civil right, but it, we treat, or sorry, we treat gay marriage like it's a civil liberty in this country, but we treat uh, interracial marriage like it's a civil right. And there's a big difference between those things. Those things, so I think it's kind of weird that they combine, I think it's or not weird, but rather interesting that they combined, you know, a civil right and a civil liberty into the same thing. That's like, I mean, to me, it's kind of like they almost made a super bill 
that's like um what's a good analogy they combined like you know pot ownership with the ability to use public transportation you know i know pot ownership is legal in this country but i i just think it's really interesting that they did that um but yeah i kind of i pretty much agree with what thomas says i mean with what thomas is saying there as far as um you know keeping it it's a public all laws are public basically i mean if they start forcing people in private to do certain things then that's a bit of a different story or however like if they start forcing churches to do or churches or you know whoever to do certain things that is a bit of a different story but um yeah that's basically all i have to say about it i think it's just interesting that they combine those things well, uh, let's move on to the next story. Uh, Virginia Congressman Don McGeechan, Donald McGeechan, uh, has died. Uh, McGeechan was 61 years old. Uh, McGeechan, uh, for a number of years, uh, was fighting uh, colorectal cancer. He was diagnosed for it in uh, 2014. He lost more than 60 pounds uh, since then. Uh, but he um, he uh, died of complications this week. Uh, McEachin was first elected to Congress uh, in uh, 2016. Uh, he was reelected uh, three different times uh, in no- early November of 2022. He was reelected to a fourth term just a few weeks before his eventual death. Uh, McEachin's uh, death uh, leaves a vacancy in Virginia's 4th Congressional District, uh, which means that there will have to be a special election for that district in 2023. Governor Glenn Youngkin will call uh, a special election for that vacancy. what are your, uh, it should also be noted that uh, McEachin, he was a Democrat and his district is very Democratic. So we expect that in a special election, that district will probably stay Democratic. What are your thoughts on Congressman Donald McEachin's uh, death? Well, I'm going to be totally honest. I don't know a ton about McEachin. I mean, I've heard the name a couple times. I think that the special election, yeah, as you said, I was under the impression it was a safe blue seat, so I think the Democrats will win that. I, there may, I mean, it's possible that one less seat for the Democrats right now could affect stuff, but I find it unlikely. I mean, I understand that the House is going to be close, but I think, I don't know when the special election is going to be called, but I don't think that it's going to impact Congress much. And also, I want to say, uh, you know, I wish the best on McEachin's family, and I hope that they are doing okay, and I hope McEachin is enjoying his time in heaven. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I agree with the latter part of what Thomas has said there. I mean, he died pretty young. He died at 61. <clears throat> and um, at least according to what I've heard about him, of course, I didn't know too much about him, <clears throat> but, you know, he was a he uh, championed a lot. Of, he was a very strong advocate for a lot of things that the Democratic Party believes. He was in uh, the 21st century, in 21st century America. And infor- it's very unfortunate that he died. So, yeah, he died at 61, 10 years old. old and, uh, I mean, to Thomas's point, though, about 
congressional districts, you know, pretty much, basically, pretty much all congressional districts here in the United States are very blue or very red. You know, gerrymandering is you know very prevalent. I mean, very prevalent in today's society. Heidi, and especially in the United States. I mean, I know it happens elsewhere with the first past the post electoral systems. But uh, yeah, I hope his family can uh, recover and hopefully he has a really good funeral. <clears throat> has a really good funeral. Well, because, uh, you know, Congressman dies, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, anybody dies, it's a big deal. But um, he has a, he was also. So according to what I've read, he was uh, the son of an army veteran and who was also a public school teacher. He also had a degree in political science for, and uh, a master of divinity. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, if you're going to associate, if there's two things that a Southern, I guess a Southerner, maybe a Southern representative would care about, it would be divinity and political science because, you know, South has a bit of a different political history than a lot of the United States, and they're also uh, really religious down there, too. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of a ideal duo for a Southern representative. Well, he got his master's in divinity from a uh, black Baptist university or historically yeah, black yeah. university, so that makes sense with that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. Uh, So Democrats uh, in the United States House of Representatives have officially chosen New York Congressman um, uh, Hakeem Jeffries as the as their uh, nominee for Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Jeffries will be the top Democrat in the United States House of Representatives come January. Obviously, this role is currently held by Nancy Pelosi. Uh, However, Pelosi announced um, just a few weeks ago that she would not stand again uh, for a leadership position in the next Congress. This led to Hakeem Jeffries, a New York congressman and the chair of the Democratic House Caucus, to stand in her place. Um, uh, Jeffries is the first Uh, will be the first Democratic leader uh, since the 1930s to have not served as House Majority Whip or or Majority Leader before uh, taking over as the top Democrat in the House. Uh, Now, if Jeffries were to be elected Speaker, um, then he... Uh, would be the first black Speaker of the House in United States history. However, it is expected that since uh, Republicans gained a narrow majority in the House, Jeffries probably won't be elected Speaker, uh, and rather instead uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, or Kevin McCarthy or another Republican, will be elected Speaker, in which case uh, Jeffries will likely serve as House Minority Leader uh, from 2023 until 2025 at least. What are your thoughts uh, on Hakeem Jeffries being elected the uh, new top Democrat in the United States House of Representatives? I've been starting a lot. Do you want to start, Andy? Or Yeah, sure. I'll, st- I'll uh, start. 
So uh, I've been doing a lot of research on this recently, recently, and it's kind of weird because Hakeem Jeffries, he doesn't really fit in well with any major talkists within the Democratic Party. Um, he said he would bend a knee to hardcore Democrat socialism. I don't know if that's his direct quote, but he said something along those lines, at least according to my sources. <clears throat> However, excuse me, something in my throat today. Um, so he doesn't really, he wouldn't say, so he kind of semi-denounced socialism socialism or at least the leftist wing of the democratic party but he but however he is very close with uh representative alexandria ocasio-cortez who's been very controversial controversial and is also so a uh hardcore progressive people probably heard of her before etc so he's very close with her but simultaneously i mean he doesn't really seem to have at least from what i've read he doesn't really seem to have much of a you know leftist history within the democratic party but, you know, he's supported, I believe he uh, su has supported, you know, oil pipelines, which, you know, a lot of Democrats are very pro-environmentalism. Doesn't mean they're less likely to support, you know, since like oil pipelines and whatnot. And he's also very heavily identified himself with the Biden wing. So I think he faces an uphill battle in some ways because, you know, he has to, he's going to have to, you know, fight the progressives on some things you have to fight the liberals on some things you know liberals you know more moderate bidenist if you want to call it that win of the democratic party in order to uh be successful in leading the party pretty in you know a lot of things really i understand however that he was unanimously voted to be the speaker but you know once the poop hits the fan if you want to call it that uh, I don't know how uh, I don't know how well he's going to be leading the party. Um, I think that the choice of Jeffries is interesting. I don't actually find it that surprising because I think he has been at least somewhat involved in leadership for a while. I know he wasn't, you know, next in line. That would have been Steny Hoyer to succeed Pelosi. But things interesting. Um, I think his choice is probably. Fine, actually, as far as getting the caucus together, I mean, he's African-American, so that definitely gets him the support of the uh, Congressional Black Caucus. Um, he's young-ish, and I think he does I think he does have some ties to the progressives. Like, I think he's on a working relationship with them, at least. And, but also, he is more of a moderate in some aspects, so that helps. The one thing that I am a little concerned about is that I kind of wish that someone from either the Midwest or the Deep South was chosen because New York is a safe blue state and there is this, uh, there is this um, idea that the Democrats represent the coastal elites and by picking someone from New York, no offense to New York, but Nancy Pelosi was from California. So I would, I would have personally preferred that someone from either the Deep South, maybe someone like um, Clyburn, I don't know, Clyburn's kind of old, but, um, someone like Clyburn of, or of his ilk from South Carolina or someone from the um, Midwest, someone like, you know, Emmanuel Cleaver of Missouri could have been chosen instead, but that's just my opinion. Well, is Emmanuel Cleaver from a really safe district? Well, yeah, he's from a safe district in Missouri. Oh, okay. So I was going to say like, you know, if you're going to speakers have to be from very safe dist have to or speakers of, of the house have to be from very safe districts so 
it, I mean, that's just kind of how it works worldwide too. You know, same th- the same is true in the UK and Canada and whatnot. But um, <clears throat> yeah, although there have been speakers that have lost re-election before, go look up Tom yeah. from uh, Eastern Washington. Yeah, yeah, of course there have been speakers that have lost re-election. But uh, I was just curious, curious if there were any, you know, prominent Democrats within or in the Midwest who uh, had a demanding, um, had a really strong, had really strong support within their district. Also, Terry Sewell is another option. She is from Alabama and she is an African-American woman in rural black Alabama. So that's an option that maybe the Democrats should consider. I don't know if she plans on sticking around in Congress, but she's not super old. So, you know. All right. Well, with that being said, let's move on to the next story. Uh, Pop star uh, and uh, 2024 presidential candidate Kanye West has been suspended uh, from Twitter. Uh, This comes after a number of controversial uh, and anti-Semitic comments that he made. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, West appeared on the show uh, InfoWars, hosted by Alex Jones, alongside Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes, uh, where he seemingly uh, praised Hitler and the Nazis uh, on multiple occasions. Uh, there was a point where he made quotes where he said, uh, quote, I see uh, good things about Hitler also, quote, every person... Uh, has brought value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. Uh, he also said, uh, quote, I like Hitler. And he also said, um, uh, he also said that um, we got to, quote, we got to stop dissing the Nazis. Well, that only went further this week uh, when West uh, appeared to uh, post a campaign logo on his Twitter account uh, which seemed to be uh, to be a swastika combined with the Star of David. Uh, this led to him uh, at first being uh, suspended from the platform for 12 hours before eventually being permanently suspended. What are your thoughts uh, on uh, Kanye West's uh, comments, his actions, and him getting kicked off the platform? Oh boy, I've been waiting to talk about this. So, I think that Kanye West, I think he's, first of all, I think he's mentally ill. I think he has bipolar disorder. I think he's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I think he knows he has bipolar disorder, but he doesn't want to take his medication. Because, from what I've heard, a lot of people who are in their manic phase of bipolar disorder feel like their medication kind of reduces part of who they are. By the way, I shouldn't say that having bipolar disorder means you're a Nazi. It's not what it means, but I think that it's making him very erratic, and I think that that is why, you know, he goes on to InfoWars. I watched the stream just because I was like, oh my gosh, Kanye West on InfoWars. This is going to be interesting. But um, that's why he goes on InfoWars with a mask and uh, starts saying, well, you know, there are some good things, and Alex Jones, when Alex Jones is the most reasonable person in the room when he's saying well you know you like Hitler because of the uniforms right the Hugo Boss uniforms are very cool and 
um, Kanye West is like, no, 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 man, I, I like uh, other things too. You know, Hitler did some good things, you know. And they apparently also appeared to deny the Holocaust at some point, so, you know, he's not the first rapper to do that. Uh, go look up B.O.B. He was another flat, he was a flat-earth Holocaust-denying rapper who was big about 10 years ago. Well, big-ish. But I think Kanye West, um, some people are saying, oh, this is a big plan for him to create his own business, and this is he's his mastermind. No, I don't think he is. I think he's mentally ill, and he's definitely put Trump in a bad situation. And then this guy, Fuentes, um, I think uh, it's... I don't know what the deal is with Fuentes, but um, he has definitely tried to uh, associate himself with sort of the hard-right faction of the GOP. You know, he's met with Paul Gosar, probably the furthest-right congressman in the country right now. He met with the lieutenant governor of Idaho, Janice McEachin. So we'll see what happens to him. Uh, unfortunately, I think that Fuentes may get bigger because Fuentes has been using a lot of plausible deniability. You know, he, whenever he does his you know right wing comments, he will often throw, "No, you know, I'm being ironic." You know, it's a typical thing. So, but Kanye West, I think he's done. Um, I'm wonder if his music will get pulled at any point. Um, if it if you're watching this in the future and it has been pulled, then just know that it hasn't by the time that we're recording this. And yeah, uh, he's a, he's mentally ill. He's having delusions of grandeur and, um, I hope he's okay. I mean, I heard, I think Ben Shapiro said, you know, I wonder if he's going to kill himself. You know, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, he's put the Republican party or especially the Trump wing in a pretty terrible situation because, your uh your leader is meeting with him and Fuentes, and then a week later they're denying the Holocaust. You know that doesn't look so well. And then the whole thing about the Netanyahu thing—I know he thought that was you know very clever, the net and the bottle of yoo-hoo. but that just got really ridiculous. And I think when Alex Jones is like thinking, okay, okay, tone it down. That's pretty bad because Alex Jones, this is the guy who talked about the gay frogs, who talked about chemtrails. So when this guy is quote unquote reasonable, you know there's a problem. And the guy who denied Sandy Hook, yeah. But yeah, I think uh, private company, as far as Twitter goes, so they have the right to do what they want with Kanye West. Um, I don't really have a, as far as like the personal aspect of it, did it violate the First Amendment? I don't think so. But uh, Twitter isn't run uh, under the First Amendment right now. Um, so I don't really know. Well, I think I have a number of thoughts on this. Um, I think Kanye is kind of a coward, you know. If you can, like, if you have to hide your opinions behind a mask on, like, a nationally watched show, even though it is InfoWars, it's people still find ways of watching, even though it's been banned up the wazoo. <clears throat> if you have to hide your opinions behind a mask, like Kanye did, I mean, do you really have those opinions? Is the question. And plus, it's not even like, it's not like, oh, somebody went on InfoWars wearing a mask, wonder who it could be. No, people knew it was Kanye, even before, like, even, like, the minute the story broke, everybody knew it was Kanye. He didn't even need, he could have gone on without the mask, and people would have been just as informed on the story, on the story. Also, I mean, I know he, or, there's a caveat to this. He's a, he was a coward, yes, up until he was just very openly posting Nazi whatever on 
his Instagram account. I mean, you know, because everybody knew it was him behind the mask. Also, I don't really think this will help his chances of getting elected. I don't think there are enough Nazis in the United States to elect a president, or at least a Nazi president. Um, also, I've heard some really weird things about Nick Fuentes before. Like, I think he calls himself straight, but at one point he was seen dating another guy or something like that. I'm, I am I don't know, but I don't think this helps Trump. I don't think, well, Fuentes is going to, I think Fuentes is really the only one who's going to get more attention because of this, or at least more people, he's going to get, I unfortunately, unfortunately, he's going to get more people like him maybe because of this, because this story is so big. I hope he doesn't, and I hope Kanye and Fuentes don't win. I mean, Man, I've known about Fuentes forever. I've known about him since like 2019, back when most people were unaware of him. But yeah, no, nah, he was caught uh, hanging out with a cat boy. Yeah, you told me about that, I think. And was, there's rumors uh... on the internet that uh, another man had a relationship with him. He also uh, made the famous quote that dating women is gay. So make of that what you will. Yeah, it's uh, he's an interesting character. He's also, I mean, you can go on and on about how, you know, weird and controversial or horrible or whatever ever these people are. But this, I mean, I don't know what Kanye thinks he's doing. I mean, and maybe Thomas is right. Maybe he does have some sort of mental illness. Um, I'm, I don't try, I don't think, you know, race dictates everything, but I find it kind of weird that a African-American would only support the Nazis behind a mask, as I said, or as I kind of mentioned earlier. I find kind of weird. It's like he's trying to almost, maybe he wore it because he was trying to hide from them. I don't know, but yeah. All right. Well, with that being said, let's move Can I say on. one more thing? Yeah, go ahead, Thomas. I was going to say, uh, Kanye, go look into what Hitler thought of uh, black people. Let's say that he was not a necessarily pro-African-American. And I think a lot of this also comes from Hebrew Israelitism. I think he at least subscribes to some sort of a form because he's talked about before how black people are the real Jews, you know. And this is a movement that's been growing. Uh, I, there are a decent number of them in uh, Tacoma, where I live, and Andy lives near Tacoma too, um, up in Washington State, there's a decent number of Hebrew Israelites, and they seem to be getting bigger every year. So that could be a thing too. And also, I think the mess thing, I don't think he's doing it because he doesn't want people to know it's him. It's pretty clear that it's him. I mean, he's addressed to his yay multiple times in the interview. I think it's because he thinks that he'll look cool with this mask, but obviously, he just looked totally stupid. But anyway, that's all I have to say. And yeah. No one. Okay, so uh, moving on. So right now, Democrats are taking uh, the first step to making South Carolina the first uh, state on the primary calendar in 2024. Uh, South Carolina, uh, previously, for you know, historically, for the past 50 years or so. Uh, Iowa has been the first state on the calendar for both Republicans and Democrats. Of course, in 1976, Jimmy Carter became famous uh, for launching his uh, campaign to success uh, through the Iowa caucuses. Uh, since then, only two Democrats um, 
have, who have won Iowa have failed to uh, win the Democratic nomination for president. Uh, those two Democrats included Tom Harkin in 1992. It should be noted that in 1992, many Democrats didn't spend money in Iowa because Iowa was Tom Harkin's home state. So Tom Harkin likely had an advantage there because he was from the state of Iowa. Uh, and uh, also in 2020, when Pete Buttigieg uh, won the state of Iowa. Obviously, in 1992, the eventual nominee was Bill Clinton. And in 2020, the eventual nominee was Joseph Biden. Uh, but uh, Iowa's uh, primaries, or the Iowa caucus, has become a bit controversial uh, amongst Democrats in the last few years. Uh, many Democrat activists have cited diversity as a reason to leave Iowa as the first state uh, because um, they think that Iowa, uh, the electorate is too white and they think that there needs to be a more diverse electorate. Uh, additionally, uh, in Iowa uh, during the caucuses, um, uh, there have been some voting issues uh, in both uh, races. Uh, in 2016, during the primary between uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, the race uh, was down to the wire uh, with only a few thousand votes separating uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Uh, and a number of controversies in terms of how the ballots were counted that election. In 2020, the election was not called for a number of days uh, out of the Iowa caucus uh, before eventually Pete Buttigieg, uh, then uh, uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, was called to be the winner of that election. Um, Joe Biden uh, has said that he supports the idea of South Carolina becoming the new uh, state that will be the first on the primary calendar. Um, this uh, reportedly came after a conversation uh, with House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, who is also from the state of South Carolina. Um, uh Right now, it is looking like Republicans will keep Iowa as the number one state on their primary calendar. There were also rumors that Democrats would uh, make uh, Michigan uh, their number, the number one state on their primary calendar. What are your thoughts on the uh, reports that, uh, I, that South Carolina will replace Iowa at the top of the primary calendar? Uh, do you want to go, Andy, or should I start? Go ahead. Okay, so um, I think South Carolina is a good state for number one. I think South Carolina, um, we'll see if this actually makes South Carolina any more competitive. I mean, I think Trump won it by about 11 points, which was a lower margin than in 2016. So some people think that South Carolina could eventually flip and become a blue state. Some people think that South Carolina... It's just uh, Georgia 10 years behind. I don't know if there's any truth in that, but we'll, uh, it does have a large African-American population. It's also very rural, so that's another thing to keep in mind, which I think is interesting, uh, similar to Iowa in that regard. I don't think that 
I've heard rumors that Iowa could be kicked back to like the sixth or seventh primary spot. I think that's a terrible idea because Iowa is at least nominally, I guess, still a swing state. I mean, I know it went pretty red in 2016, 2020, but Barack Obama won it by five points. So I'm not one of those people who thinks that Iowa is a lost cause. So I think that uh, if they want to, if the Democrats want to win, I think they do need to get some of that, some of those um, white working class voters back. So even if Iowa isn't number one, I would still prefer Iowa to be number two or number three and not be kicked back so far, as the rumors have said. For the Republicans, also want to, are considering moving the Iowa caucus all the way to October 2023, which would make the primary season start ridiculously early. Uh, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, that, I think, is a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't think that the... Uh, primary season should start that early. But yeah, um, generally, I think South Carolina is a good fit. Um, Michigan would probably also be a good fit because Michigan, you can balance out, you know, the again, the Midwest Rust Belt. I was talking about the working class, but also it has a large African-American population. So you can balance those two out. Um, but yeah, I think South Carolina is good. I'm happy that, you know, it's South Carolina and not whoever, New Jersey or something, because there's really no benefit, I think, to spending a lot of time there. Um, but yeah, South Carolina, uh, South Carolina has more electoral votes than Iowa. So I guess if you're thinking about which state would you rather take South Carolina or Iowa, you would probably take South Carolina because South Carolina is at the growing in population. Um, it's part of the Sun Belt, but yeah, uh, we'll see. I think it'll be interesting. Um, I wonder if this will put South Carolina in play and I wonder if this will firmly rotate Iowa permanently out of play for the Democrats. Yeah, uh, as far as my thoughts on this, I mean, at first I thought it was kind of a diversity move. I mean, well, I mean, it is, but <laughs> when I say that, well, the only reason I could think of moving a movie that caucus is, is if it would affect internal party primaries in some way, which, I mean, you may have a candidate that comes out to a lead there that starts leading, you know, a different candidate that would lead the primary to start off if say they did it in Iowa, they had the primary, the Democrats had their primary in Iowa first, like the last, who knows how long or for the last, who knows how long that's been the tradition. I can see that making a big difference if it affected internal party primaries. However, you know, they're trying to, I believe I read somewhere, they're trying to appeal to, you know, non-college educated lower class African Americans by moving the primary here. Now if that'll affect internal party elections, I see moving it. Moving it. But I don't know. I mean if if it's just a diversity move, you'll probably just end up with the same results as you would if it wasn't. You would probably just end up with the same, you know, Democratic primary results as you would if South Carolina's primary wasn't there, if they're just, you know, moving it. Because, I mean, you may end up, the race may shape different, may take different shapes than it, or the polling or who's in the lead and whatnot may look different as opposed to, may look different over time as opposed to if Iowa had gone first. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe because it is the Southers, uh, maybe because it is this South or South Carolina or whatever that's going first, people will vote differently. 
for some reason, even though it's not like South Carolina's Florida. I mean, nothing did South Carolina, but you know, Florida is this big toss-up state, and there's all uh, the national elections, and it's a has a lot of delegates. Even though the delegate system, as most people know, is not a great system to be having elections under, but that's a story for another time. So uh, yeah, uh, that's my thoughts on it. But if it does affect things, it'll be interesting to see what happens. As Thomas has said, we'll see what happens with moving South Carolina's primary to the first primary. All right. Well, with that being said, let us move on to the next story. Uh, So the Georgia runoffs uh, are coming up. Uh, As of the day this uh, episode is published, uh, it will be the day of the Georgia runoff. Uh, For those who don't know, the 2022 midterms aren't over quite yet um, as uh, Democrats uh, still have to defend one Senate seat in Georgia. Uh, Democrat Raphael Warnock, the incumbent senator, is running for a full term uh, against Herschel Walker, the uh, former uh, NFL superstar and the Republican nominee. Uh, Both ran uh, on Election Day with... um, uh, Walker getting a narrow 49% uh, percent compared to Walker's 48%. Uh, however, despite that, neither candidate got to 50%, leading to a runoff under Georgia state law. Uh, the race has been one of the most watched uh, Senate races of the election cycle. It should be noted uh, that if, uh, even if Democrats fail to hold the seat, uh, they will still have a majority in the United States Senate. That is because they were successful in maintaining 50 seats in the last election cycle, uh, which means uh, that Vice President Kamala Harris will be the president of the Senate and the deciding vote for the next two years at least. Uh, um, however, uh, a, uh, a win in Georgia would give Democrats uh, their 51st seat, which would be crucial, uh, a crucial win for their party. Um, as we've said before, uh, Democrats in 2024 uh, face a uh, very uh, challenging Senate map. Uh, Democrats uh, are going to have to uh, hold seats uh, in West Virginia, a state Donald Trump won by uh, over 35%, uh, Montana, a state he won by over 15%, uh, and Ohio, a state that Trump won by over 5%. Uh, additionally, they'll also have to uh, hold uh, seats in multiple swing states, such as Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, and also uh, they may have to hold seats in Virginia, uh, which has been more competitive in the last few years, uh, and uh, New Jersey, where Bob Menendez, the incumbent Democrat, is under federal investigation, as we talked about last week. Um, And also they don't have many pickup opportunities outside of the state of Texas, where Ted Cruz uh, is up for re-election. Uh, so a win in Georgia would give Democrats uh, 
at least a two-seat cushion, uh, assuming they win the presidency in 2024, a two-seat cushion at least uh, going into uh, 2025 to protect them from a potential uh, Republican, from multiple uh, potential Republican gains uh, in 2024. Uh, additionally, uh, Warnock winning uh, would give uh, Democrats more power uh, in the Senate. It should be noted that Democrats uh, do not have a majority in the House. Republicans won their majority in the House, uh, which means that the filibuster and other pieces of legislation are unlikely to be changed in the next Congress. However, um, remember that uh, only the Senate gets to uh, pick appointments, which means that uh, Democrats would have more votes in terms of getting judges appointed if Warnock wins. Now, this race is considered extremely competitive, but recent polls have shown Warnock with a slight lead over Walker. What are your thoughts uh, on the upcoming uh, Georgia runoff this Tuesday? Uh, I think that uh, Walker will probably lose. I mean, I know the polls showed it was competitive, but this seems to be the one election where the Democrats overperformed the polls. I don't really know why, but they seem to have overperformed the polls in these midterms. And if you look at the early voting numbers, they look pretty good for Warnock. Generally, the more early voting, um, the better it is for the Democrats. And plus, a lot of the early voters appear to be uh, young African Americans, which I, I I understand that Walker is also African American, but generally young African Americans heavily favor the Democrats. They're probably one of the most uh, solidly Democratic blocks. Not to say that there aren't at Black Republicans, of course, but yeah. Um, so that is a good sign for Warnock. Uh, about the 2024 map, I basically agree with everything. I would say that Florida could be a potential pickup opportunity. Um, it's Rick Scott there. Rick Scott has not... Um, he has said certain things as a senator that would make him very easy to attack. I mean, he's, I think he suggested uh, raising taxes on uh, lower-income people, which, you know, never uh, looks very good. You never really want to say that. But I don't really know. Maybe uh, maybe that's a pickup opportunity. But, yeah, I basically agree that, yeah, the Democrats are going to be defending a lot of ground there. So, yeah, so they should uh, definitely try to pick this one up. I mean, I think Walker could win, but I think it's definitely more likely that Warnock wins. I see that election betting odds, which is a site that uh, basically puts bets on elections. So they give uh, Warnock, I think about an 85% chance of winning as of yesterday. I'll have to, I'd have to look it up today, but yeah, I think that Warnock is the favorite. I think Warnock will probably win by about two to three points. I can see him winning by a little more. I can see him winning by five points. I don't think he's winning by much more than that. If Walker wins at the squeaker, it's a one-point win, two points at max. I don't see any sort of a landslide either way. But, yeah, I think this is Warnock's win. Walker's ran a pretty horrible campaign. Uh, if just from the standpoint of campaigning, I mean, you know, he's not raised his money well. He has had so many scandals. So, yeah, the Republicans really did not nominate the best slate of, slate of candidates this time around. I mean, with Mehmet Oz in New Jersey, pretty weak candidate. 
I think Carrie Lake was a pretty bad candidate in Arizona. She lost. Um, but yeah, they, they nominated some pretty weak candidates. Um, and Warnock is, I think, a good candidate. I think he's a strong candidate. And the, if you look at the attack ads against Warnock, they just aren't effective at all. Basically trying to dig up his old sermons and basically trying to accuse Warnock of supporting socialism or communism. And it just, I don't think it's going to land with anyone. But yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you could go about this. I mean, I think war, uh, I've heard the argument that, uh, well, I like your I think like your last host or like your last just said. I think Walker has a little bit of a shot. I know that was a week ago, but I mean, there's maybe a possibility that Warnock has is just doing well right now. I mean, he, there's still what a month of campaigning. Oh, there's, I don't know how much campaigning there is left, but maybe, um, I don't think it's a month, but maybe, uh, maybe Herschel I think Walker it's four days, out. three days. Oh, four days. Okay. Yeah. yeah. At the time, okay. So the day this episode is posted is the day that, which is this Tuesday is the day when they have the election. Okay. Thank you. So maybe there's, I don't know, there's been stranger things have happened, but, um, I, Maybe Walker will win. I mean, it, the main reason I say that is because, yeah, he has a lot of baggage, but nobody really talks about it. All like a lot of what I see on the line is just Pete Raphael Warnock praising, basically, and not many fewer people I think talk about Walker scandals. So it's easier to cover up. I mean, I can, I can, you know, go into that. He uh, one one that a lot of people, a lot, a lot of Democrats like to point out is that um. He uh he's pro life, but apparently he uh paid for somebody's abortion once, which is interesting. Interesting, but uh I mean maybe there's a small chance. I think it's kind of weird that I don't know how many states have this law, but I don't think Georgia should have. I think it would help our democracy function as a whole if Georgia didn't have the fifty percent rule. I know a lot of people are gonna hate me for saying that, but it's not a state where you should have it because. Every single election season, you might as well just make the, the voting day December 6th because we know Georgia's just going to go to a runoff. You know, <laughs> it's it's a it's just it's I I mean it's becoming if if you know patterns or anything to go by, oh by then I just think it better help our democracy as a whole if we just got rid of that rule. Even though you could make a strong argument that. Because there's a lot of controversy about how about how people vote in this country, or not like the blue, but just like you know access to polls and stuff, you should also make a strong argument against that. And I get that too. Uh, I understand that. I you know, I think a lot of uh, I think up here in Washington State, we don't really have many issues with that. But I know there are some large fights going on, particularly in states like a state like Georgia, over voting stuff. So. I don't know. Maybe Walker can pull it out. Maybe, maybe he, uh, maybe Warnock will win, win re-election. I mean, I, I don't know. If, I haven't seen many Herschel Walker ads, but maybe he could try and make the argument that, you know, Warnock's had to go to two runoffs. Is he really, you know, the best one for us? I don't know. But that's just that's just my take on it. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to. The- oh, could I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say also that I think that what Andy was talking about runoffs, I think this is a good argument for ranked choice voting. 
Because I think the problem is if you get rid of the runoffs and you have people who didn't win a majority of votes getting elected. Um, but I think if you have ranked choice voting, I think that would help. So I think that all states should adopt ranked choice voting. I think Alaska's done it, and it's been a success. Maine's done yeah. it. It's been a success. Um, you've gotten some very interesting candidates coming out of those two states. But yeah, we can talk about that later if you want. But yeah, I'm a big ranked choice voting person, so... Big ranch voting guys, so you know. That's just my opinion on that. All right, well, let's move on to the next story. This is the final story on uh, our list, uh, and that is involving Twitter. Uh, so right now, Elon Musk, the CEO of Twitter, is claiming that in uh, 2020, uh, James Woods... Uh, the uh, actor and conservative activist um, was, uh, uh, he's claiming that uh, multiple Twitter executives uh, worked with the Democratic National Committee to take down a tweet from James Woods uh, that showed, uh, appeared to uh, mock Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden, um, making jokes about uh, uh, Hunter Biden uh, in terms of uh, it, making fun of Hunter Biden, showing him uh, doing cocaine uh, and being in a bathtub um, and uh, basically making fun of Hunter Biden's alleged scandals. Um, basically, Elon Musk has claimed that in 2020, right before the election, the Democratic National Committee uh, asked that Elon uh, Musk's uh, tweet get taken, or, or asked that James Woods's tweet get taken down. Uh, Woods uh, went on Tucker Carlson tonight and said that he's going to sue uh, over this. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on uh, this controversy? Why don't you start, Andy? I mean, uh, it's I. I mean, do I think I, I? I kind of agree with Elon here taking this down, taking that stuff down. But it, it's unfortunately part of a larger trend in you know politics in North America, where <clears throat> making fun of problems that have nothing to do with politics that um political figures have has just become a part of it like people were like the whole trump hand size controversy you know the fact that some people are arguing he has small hands and then republicans got offended by that there was that whole controversy and stuff like this is unfortunately just becoming a part of our political system i mean the most blatant form of this type of thing you know mocking politicians and their families for over irrelevant things that they do uh, is the face ad. Go look up um, Kim Campbell, the face ad. Kim Campbell was a very short-serving Canadian prime minister, and she made fun of one of her opponents for having a facial deformity. So y'all look that up if you're interested in what exactly I'm referring to here. To here, as far as, you know, mocking people for physical ailments and whatnot. I think it's part of an... Unfor I think, you know, that comedian... Uh, did something that was part of an unfortunate cycle where, you know, I 
don't think Hunter Biden's cocaine problem has, or whatever, has influenced, you know, American political policy. Uh, I, he's, I don't really see any more cocaine. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not around cocaine at all, really, but <laughs> I'm not around cocaine at all, <laughs> but uh, I don't see any more of it than I did before Biden was in office. Like, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's not relevant. I don't think we should be making fun of somebody who clearly had an addiction, had an addiction just because of I, I you know, that's something that Hunter Biden can has to well, would have would have to resolve privately. And I don't really see how it would affect. Well, I mean, I can't see how it would affect Biden's presidential chances. However, it's not in a way that we want his presidential chances to be affected. You know, I don't think candidates should be mocked for. The phys- I don't think candidates should lose voters over a physical ailment. That just makes no sense. Sense. I mean, what what next is Biden going to lose votes because he has a German Shepherd? Like, in, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. I'm glad Elon Musk put that tweet down. You know, I'll defend you know the freedom to say what you want, but if it's stuff like that, just go ahead and take it down, Elon. It's not worth anybody's time. It's not really useful to anyone. Well, I was under the impression that Elon wasn't in control of Twitter when the tweet was taken down. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nolan. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, this was this was from 2020, I believe. Um, oh, okay. So when or Twitter, whoever, insert whoever or, yeah, like Twitter. Then. Right. Basically, what happened was this happened in 2020. This is what Elon is claiming. Elon is claiming this happened two years ago, right before the presidential election. Uh, Twitter employees at the time were emailing uh, members of the Democratic National Committee about taking down a tweet from James Woods um, about Hunter Biden. That's what the claim, that's the claim Elon is making. Obviously, Elon was not the head of Twitter in, in 2020. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, regardless, though, I don't think, you know, as I said before, whoever, you know, I don't think James would have sort of made this post. I mean, I think Twitter should have taken it down, whether it was headed by Elon Musk or whoever, whoever. Uh, but if you're, and I mean, I'm assuming the Democratic Party, you know, they're not the, they're not the, they're not the party you're going to hear like screaming about, you know, defending free speech all the time. So they're probably going to want to take it down. I think it's not even a political thing. I think it's just plain insults that should be taken down. I don't think, like, I don't, uh, as I said before, I don't really, this is, this is, this is morals we're talking about. Not, it's not, this is more of a moral thing, not a, you know, a left versus right thing. I think just blatant mocking like that. It's not, it's, it's productive to nobody. It helps nothing. So, uh, yeah, you know, if people are, if Elon is exposing this or talking about this and whatever, and people are, I, and if people are, you know, reacting, saying this shouldn't happen, this isn't J- what James Woods did isn't helpful to anybody or anything, anything or maybe his comedy career. I don't know who his followers are like. I'd imagine they're probably conservatives. There are pro- probably a lot of uh, really conservative people who are laughing at that. So, I mean, I guess I guess that helps him. But other than that, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think that. I think they should have taken it down. I was going to say, I don't really know. Um, I think that um, the Hunter Biden stuff, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's kind of two different things going on there. There's the corruption allegations, basically, about Hunter Biden in Ukraine, which, I mean, I think go ahead. Go ahead and investigate them. I think any 
if there are allegations, I think allegations should be investigated. And I don't think that that part of the story should have necessarily been censored. But the other part, which is the Hunter Biden drug stuff, you know, um, yeah, that's that's personal stuff, and that doesn't really matter much. I think. I mean, uh, I think that uh, Hunter Biden is like a lot of Americans, where he has a drug problem. He seems. To, he also appears to be a sex addict, and that's a problem that many Americans face. So he is not alone in this. And I think that the more that Republicans try to showcase Hunter Biden taking drugs and stuff, I don't think it's actually going to sway that many voters. Um, and I think that's going to be very ineffective. And I'm wondering what the Republicans are going to do uh, when they retake the House, what they're going to do about all this, if they're going to launch a bunch of investigations into Biden and if they're going to be over this kind of stuff about Hunter Biden's drug problems, which, uh, yeah, that will not help them. I'm wondering if this could be a, like a sort of like a Bill Clinton situation where when Bill Clinton, um, when it was revealed that he lied about his affair, that actually, um, and then the Republicans started to do impeachment, that actually helped him in the polls because people thought, wait, why are we doing this impeachment again? What's the point? Anyway, so that's what Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, that about wraps up uh, this week's episode. Thank you, Thomas and Andrew, again for joining me. Uh, Thank you. Before, My pleasure. Before you go, do you want to tell people, A, where you can listen to your podcast, and B, if you can be found anywhere on social media? Um, I'll do the I'll do the podcasts. and the social media. I'll do the social media part. So you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Are we on Apple Podcasts? I don't remember. But we're also on Breaker and Pocket Casts. And I've Anchor, of course. So those are the main ones. I'm not missing any. Uh, don't we have an RSS feed? I don't know how to work RSS, an RSS so... feed. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and then uh, Andy will tell you. Andy will tell the folks about the social media. Well, I'm kind of on. I'm mostly in charge of the social media end for this yeah. for our show. Uh, we do have a subreddit that I rarely update, but it is there. We don't really allow for people to post other than us just because, you know, we don't want we, we post our whatever we post kind of whenever we produce an episode on there that like when it's out. So, you know, we want to keep and we want be, people to be able to find those easily. Uh, we also have a Instagram where, you know, we post about whatever, mostly podcast related. There are some memes. Thomas used to do a bunch of cu- stuff with uh, country balls, uh, <laughs> a lot of and stuff like that. Uh, we just we just don't have a good time over there. Uh, our Instagram is at twi12404. That is twi lowercase 12404. Our profile picture is the Ukrainian flag because we support Ukraine over on the Sweet International. So uh, yeah, that is our social media plugs, if I remember correctly. All right. Thank you again for joining. Thank you. The creators of Politics Weekly have a new series now out. The series that has amassed nearly 20,000 listeners is now getting a spin-off on online radio. Politics Weekly Live is a follow-up to Politics Weekly, bringing you more content 
live commentary, and the ability to respond to stories live. Politics Weekly Live is available to listen to every Wednesday at 3 p.m. on WPSR, the official radio station of Purchase College, and will be posted wherever you listen to podcasts following recording. Thank you.